This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Brian Kalt is an expert on all these far out things. No one thought were going to really happen during a presidency until Trump took office. I, um, I got interested in the constitutional law of the presidency in law school. Uh, I, I happened to ask in class, we were talking about presidential pardons, and I asked, can the president pardon himself? And the professor said, I don't know. You should look into that. Wow, what a prescient law school student you were. Well, yeah, this was this was back in the 90s, and they, they made fun of me for um, writing about something so uh, outlandishly improbable. And people said, why are you writing about this crazy stuff that'll never happen? And, of course, now they're saying, why is all of this crazy stuff all happening in the same week? Brian teaches law at Michigan State now, where he has broadened his interests— to include all the ways a president can be removed from office, like impeachment, the 25th Amendment. He looks at these tools like an auto mechanic. He knows how the gears are supposed to fit together and where they could get stuck. So yesterday, he was keeping track as members of Congress toggled back and forth over how to hold the president accountable for last week's riot. Some members wanted to impeach the president right away. Others wanted to somehow encourage Mike Pence to take over for his boss. Monday, Congress tried both options at once. They drew up impeachment articles while also introducing a resolution to encourage the vice president to declare Trump unfit for office, which Brian thought was a little strange. The 25th Amendment is really not up to Congress in any way. So asking for this resolution to be passed sort of requesting the vice president to uh, invoke it, 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 it's kind of an awkward thing to do. It's, it's, it's his call. It's the cabinet's call. It's not theirs. If the system is working the way it should, it's the other way around. The vice president and a majority of the cabinet are the ones who come to Congress to plead their case. They're supposed to declare that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. Seems kind of vague. Well, it is. And um, it it was not designed to be restricted to incapacitation, comas, things like that. But that was what they were mainly thinking about. That was the situation where the process they set up was designed to function smoothly. So if the president's in a coma, then we can immediately transfer power to the vice president so that we don't have uh, nobody at the helm. Yeah, you've said the 25th Amendment is really not designed for this moment. It's not, and it's it's not supposed to be for presidents who are doing bad things. It's supposed to be for presidents who can't do anything. I look at what Congress is doing, introducing this resolution about the 25th Amendment and sort of saying over and over again that that's the remedy that they would like to see implemented, or at least Nancy Pelosi has said that and others. I see it as a delaying tactic where— Everyone's sort of looking around and saying, not it, you know. 
I, I see it as them seeing a situation that they think is untenable and looking on the shelf for whatever tool can fix that. And the 25th Amendment, whatever it's intended for, the reality is, if they invoke it, the problem is solved. The problem being they are worried what President Trump will do with presidential power in the next nine days. This would be the only way to prevent him from doing things with his power as commander-in-chief, doing things with his pardon power. The problem is it's not the tool for the job. It's, it's kind of like if you need to hammer in a nail and you don't have a hammer, well, you might try and use your shoe because you, you got to use something, but you, it, it, it's probably not going to work all that well. Today on the show, Nancy Pelosi has given Mike Pence 24 hours to give Trump the boot. So far, he hasn't been answering the speaker's phone calls. Brian is going to explain what the real options are here. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. After talking to Brian Kalt, I started thinking about the 25th Amendment as a kind of presidential mute button. Its impact is instantaneous. And while Brian thinks it's the wrong tool to wield right now, he does see the appeal. Because it is worded in this broad way, and because it takes immediate effect in a way that impeachment doesn't, it is there as a possibility to use if the president is running amok um, in, in a way that could meet the definition of unable. Do you feel like this situation meets the definition of running amok? Well, I, I think that things were headed that way on Wednesday, but they seem to have simmered down uh, enough that Vice President Pence is um, not interested in proceeding, although reports are that he is um, not taking it off the table if, if things do spiral out of control again. Uh, the cabinet reportedly was talking about it, which makes sense. But, but yeah, it's 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 hard to it's hard to use. It really it would be limited to those situations where something has to be done um, because you 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 don't want Section Four to become this um, mechanism for removing a president, making an end run around impeachment. You don't want to set that precedent if you don't have to. Um, ordinarily, the, in, in a situation where the president is able enough to declare that no inability exists, um, there's a process for him to take power back. And ordinarily, the deck is stacked heavily in his favor. Yeah, you've talked about how the 25th Amendment, it's actually, it's it's biased to let the president keep power. Because once the vice president sort of triggers all this, there's actually just like four days where he's in charge if the president wants the power back. Well, if the vice president and cabinet uh, respond to that declaration by the president that he's okay by saying, no, you're not, then it goes to Congress. Um, and Congress has 21 days to debate the question. And during that four-day wait, and during the 21 days, if, if they do uh, object and send it to Congress, the vice president remains in charge. Um, but you need two-thirds in the House and two-thirds in the Senate to vote against the president in that 21-day period um, to keep him out of power. 
And so in the middle of the term, if the president is saying he's okay, he takes his power back unless the vice president and the cabinet and two-thirds of the House and two-thirds of the Senate say he's not. That's a very high bar. So you don't want to invoke it if the president is going to object unless you know you have the votes um, to, to clear that very high bar. At the end of the term, though, like this, the, there's the possibility of running out the clock without two-thirds in the House, without two-thirds in the Senate, um, all they would have to do is debate until the 20th and run out the clock. Brian sees a few problems with invoking the 25th Amendment at the moment. One of the big ones, he says, is that it would establish a bad precedent. Americans don't have a collective idea of how the 25th Amendment could work in practice because it's never really been used in this way before. A lot of our ideas about how this could work, they come from television, where the 25th Amendment is often a tool to wrest power from a president with enemies. Uh, Any show about a TV president, eventually they come around to a a 25th Amendment story. Hmm. And and usually on TV, that's how it's used. Uh, The president is just fine, and the vice president and the cabinet engage in something kind of like uh, a coup. And... Because Section 4 has never been used in real life, that's, that's people's view of it. It's, it's the only version they see. Impeachment, we've got plenty of real-life examples. We know what that looks like. Section 4, we don't have uh, a, a real example of that. Brian's got a whole section of one of his books that catalogs all the things TV writers get wrong here. So let's see. Um, Scandal, House of Cards, Madam Secretary, Homeland... Okay, so Homeland. There was this uh, situation on Homeland where they invoke um, Section 4, and then they have this dialogue there where the president says, a moment utterly not contemplated in the Constitution. Everyone keeps waving around like they actually care what it says. I do care what the Constitution says. Good. Then explain to me how you use the 25th Amendment to oust a president who is not in a coma, not in any way disabled, clearly in possession of her faculties, clearly able to discharge the duties of her office. And and that's right. The president was absolutely right. But they they don't have anything that says she's right. She's just saying that. So if people see it as a way to get rid of a bad president— um, then it, it becomes a real problem and one that the designers of the amendment had hoped to avoid. So it really does need to be a pretty severe uh, crisis situation to warrant running that risk of watering down what it's meant to be used for. And putting the vice president and cabinet at the front line was one way that they did that. They said, look, if this is going to be triggered, it's not going to be people who might have already wanted him gone. It's going to be his own people. Mm. Uh, and they're going to be naturally reluctant to do that. Which they are, as far as we can see. They they have been reluctant to do it, just as it was designed. When we come back, Congress does have an option in between impeachment and the 25th Amendment. So why aren't they talking about it? This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So, Nancy Pelosi has said that if the vice president doesn't move forward with the 25th Amendment, she plans to proceed with another impeachment. So I wanted to talk to you about the impeachment process, too, and what it could look like and how it could look different than the most recent impeachment, which was just a year ago. I mean, my my main question is how long everything needs to take, because the last impeachment, of course, it, it took a while, months. It is an issue. And, and part of the issue is because of how long it would take, it would prevent Congress from doing anything else. And there's a lot of other things that need doing. So what it looks like they're leaning towards, uh, what I've heard, is um, impeach before he has left office um, because they can. That doesn't take as long. And that just involves the House. That just involves the House, and it involves facts that um, I, I suppose they could investigate a little bit, but I think that they they know enough that a majority is already willing to go forward. Given that everyone there evacuated, they feel like they may know the facts well enough. Exactly. And, and then um, because the Senate won't do it before the 20th, then there's no rush. So they're talking about maybe giving the new administration 100 days to get things done, and and then hold the trial. Because you're right, when they hold the trial, it's going to take a while, and it's going to suck all the oxygen out of the room. I guess, for me, I feel like there's a real cost to waiting, where it sort of downplays the seriousness of what happened and allows people who pushed ideas that led to this insurrection to maybe figure out a way that they can help Trump avoid accountability here? Well, I think that's going to be an issue whenever um, whenever the trial is held. I don't think it'll take them too much time to build up their counter-narratives. But 
Um, I, I think that there is a real risk that there are embers burning out there that could quickly flare up. And um, I'm, I'm not sure that having the impeachment trial will help to put those out, though. Uh, if anything, it might provide the occasion for them to flare up. So I, I think it's a concern. My concern is more what will happen if they go forward with it and for whatever reason, what, however the facts play out, whatever we learn in the coming days and weeks and months, they don't get the 17 Republican votes they'll need for a conviction. Why does that concern you so much? Well, we saw what happened when we had an impeachment without a conviction. It emboldened the president. It would send a message that you can do this and not get convicted. And an impeachment without a conviction has no consequence. So in in a lot of ways, it's worse than um, no impeachment at all. So I would would hope that um, the three months or whatever would also give them time to figure out if the votes are there. And if the votes aren't there, then rather than have an impeachment that ends without a conviction and has no consequence, maybe find something else um, that they could do. Something like censure. Um, Censure doesn't have any binding effect either, um, but a successful censure, I think, would be better than an unsuccessful impeachment. Uh, Among other things, it would get more Republican votes. In doing that, it would identify and isolate those Republicans who are, are not willing to go against Trump or what he did. And you would also, in an impeachment trial, you always see the same thing. People saying, well, what he did was bad, but dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and with the censure, you, you, you aren't talking about any of that other stuff. If you think that what he did was bad, then you vote yes. And there, there is no but. Does it have any force, censure? No. Like, what would it do? It would just be a symbolic blot on his record. And again, because it would likely get more Republican support than, than, than the impeachment, I think that it would, it would be a more consequential blot on his record than an unsuccessful impeachment would be. So much of the conversation about what we should do now is about symbolism. Like I've heard people make the same argument about impeachment that – if you impeach, then it sends this symbol that, you know, we this will not stand. You know, no future leader can do what this president did without being punished. But there are real practical reasons why an impeachment over a censure would make sense, right? Like, what are the chances of having, you know, something like financial support for a former president withdrawn? or? having him banned from holding office again. Well, that is the one reason um, disqualification from future office is the one reason why an impeachment after he's left office might actually amount to something. Because um, that's the only punishment that the Constitution allows besides removal uh, for an impeachment conviction. And as far as his pension and and post-presidential benefits are concerned, The current law, the former President's Act, um, specifies that these benefits are available to former presidents, and it defines former presidents as those whose service ended for reasons other than them being impeached and removed. In other words, unless he's convicted in an impeachment trial while he's still in office, he still gets his pension. Convicting him after he left office under current law would not strip him of any of those benefits. So no matter what, that 
that gravy boat is, like, chugging out of the dock. Like, he's going to get that money. Unless they change the law, right? I mean, they can they can always do that. But it w- there would be some constitutional issues with doing that retroactively, too. But I think they could. But they would have to. Is there an argument that given all the political capital Democrats might have to burn with a second impeachment, with all the convincing that have to do of their Republican colleagues in the Senate, that it's more worthwhile to focus on something else? I mean, you've seen, as you said, this recommendation that, oh, maybe we'll hold the articles back for 100 days. But is there an argument for just scuttling the impeachment idea and moving forward in a different way against the president, like an investigation by the DOJ, and then kind of clearing the way for for president-elect Biden to do something about COVID vaccine distribution? I, I think that that is attractive. And I think um, when, I, when I wrote about uh, impeaching ex-officials, one of the things I tried to do was to concede that it will rarely be worthwhile and then ask, well, when would it be? And and one situation where it's less worthwhile is if there are other consequences facing the person. If 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 a real investigation with real consequences um, is in the works, then you can you can delegate that. Um, and and if it turns out that that doesn't pan out, then you can always come back to the impeachment. I'm not sure um, what the Department of Justice is going to do. I, I don't know what they'll find when they look. Uh, there's not just what happened last week. There's also the call uh, recorded to the Georgia Secretary of State that they're looking at. So um, there's uh, state charges in um, the New York Attorney General or in the Manhattan DA are looking at. So it 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 might that might add to the notion that. Um, consequences are coming elsewhere and impeachment's not necessary. That said, it's going to be very hard for Democrats, even if they know they don't have the votes in the Senate, very hard for them to to say, oh, well, we should just let this go. Um, literally and figuratively, they were uh, assaulted. Um, and that's not something that is easy to let go. I mean, we talk about interbranch struggle, but this was... This was something where that um, that struggle really calls for a real response, and, and I and I can't imagine them lightly dropping it, uh, even if the president might face other consequences. So I think that's why we'll see, in all likelihood, uh, an impeachment this week. Yeah, and of course, Joe Biden in the past has been a little bit reluctant to say anything about investigating the president and thinking about crimes he might have committed while in office. So while that might have changed over the last week, Congress does have this power that it can use. And so I I just can't imagine Democrats not wanting to use it. I think it's also important to note that the impeachment process gives Congress power to investigate um, that is harder to stiff arm, harder to stonewall. Um, And so they might want to proceed just because it would be a more effective way of getting to the bottom of what actually happened, Um, getting witnesses in to say who said what to whom. Um, And 
not all of these things are necessarily crimes. Um, so an investigation of impeachable offenses might allow them to go more broadly than whatever the Department of Justice is able to do. So it might be worth it in, in that uh, regard, too, as a way of um, getting the facts out into the public record. The thing about impeachment, Brian says, is that just like invoking the 25th Amendment or censuring the president or launching a criminal investigation, is that it's not a foolproof solution to this particular problem. The problem with impeachment is that it's an inherently political process. When you have Congress do it, you're having politicians do it. And if what we want is um, to move past the political polarization, if such a thing is even possible, it's not clear that Congress is the right place to do that. I don't even know who would be, though. I mean, can you think of an institution that's broadly trusted? No. Um, and and I think that ideally what we could do is um, have bipartisan consensus in Congress and at least the investigation part of it. Um, the, the Watergate impeachment proceedings before Nixon resigned were conducted in a pretty bipartisan manner and uh, ended up being a, a really useful way of finding out what happened. And uh, I, I think I mean, Biden's not in Congress, but I think that that sort of approach would be very appealing to uh, to him and to anyone so inclined. One would think that there would be a, a, a lot of Republicans, given what happened last week, who would be willing to put their foot down and say they're not going to defend this man anymore. But um, we'll see. It's interesting. You're kind of saying both things there, where it's, you know, an impeachment process provides these powers, which is good, but it's inherently political, which isn't great. But at the same time, if they can get some bipartisan consensus, then maybe the impeachment process is the way to go because more will come out because of it. Well, that's the history of it. Not necessarily the recent history. Well, we've had four serious impeachment episodes. President Johnson uh, back in the 1860s, and then Nixon, Clinton, and Trump. And what we saw is that in, in the Johnson and Clinton and Trump examples, it was a politicized process, and it failed because there wasn't enough political support for it. But what we saw with Nixon was at a certain point, if what you do is bad enough that even your own party, uh, significant enough members of your own party tell you, hey, th we're not going to support you anymore, then it works. Nixon resigned because he was about to be impeached and convicted. So it, it does offer that possibility. If an offense rises to the level where it's not just bad enough that uh, the majority uh, agrees with it, but uh, being, being a problem, but that there are enough members of the president's own party. Um, harder to see that now, now that we don't just have a two-party system like in the 70s, but a two-reality system. Uh, you, you need enough Republicans who even agree on the facts, not just on the consequences of them. Which is, which is why we're paying so much attention to Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins and what they have to say on this. I suppose. I, I think, I mean, you, you need 17, and, and they would always be sort of the first ones to, to go. But uh, I don't know who the 17th most moderate Republican senator is, but <laughs> we should figure out who that person is and ask what he or she thinks, um, because that's really where the, the tipping point would be. And you would think if anything would, would 
provide a tipping point. It would be an, an armed insurrection invading the Capitol. You'd think. Yeah, you would think, but no, who knows? I'm wondering if you, looking back on what happened during the last impeachment process, if you have any advice for the Democrats moving forward. Oh, that's that's so hard because we had the same issue there. Uh, they didn't want to let him do what he did without any consequences, but ultimately what they did had no consequences and it emboldened him. And so my advice would be um, do what you can to get enough Republican support to get a conviction. Find out what and how you could uh, charge uh, the president with that would even possibly get those 67 votes. And if you can't do that, try and work out something else like censure, because again, a failed impeachment is in a lot of ways worse than no impeachment at all. Brian Colt, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. This was fun, even if the occasion is unfortunate. Brian Colt is a professor at Michigan State and the author of Unable, The Law, Politics, and Limits of Section 4 of the 25th Amendment. After Brian and I spoke, both Republicans and Democrats started floating more ideas about how to move forward. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said his caucus they might back censure for President Trump. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's team was said to be exploring whether impeachment could proceed in half-day increments, giving senators time to legislate during the trial. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Davis Land, Daniel Hewitt, Mary Wilson, and Elena Schwartz. Franny Kelly is keeping us going, too. We are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. You can see pictures of my dog over on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.